welcome to today's Workplace, a podcast created to keep employers current on the latest employment law trends while providing proactive solutions to the everyday issues arising in today's rapidly changing workplace. Is your business prepared for today's workplace? Let's find out with your hosts, Barbara Johnson and Belinda Reed Shannon. During our last episode, we had a great discussion with Dr. Wesley Clark about the arrival of the COVID-19 pandemic and its far-reaching impact on the communities, businesses, and overall economy of the U.S. and across the globe. We learned that the very new and novel nature of the COVID-19 virus has caused the scientific community to go into overdrive, finding ways to detect it, prevent it from spreading, and treating the virus. As a consequence, state and local level governments imposed a wide range of shelter in place or stay at home orders, which were designed to help stem the spread of COVID-19. This has had a profound impact on businesses and employers are on the front line of helping their companies decide how to safely and legally transition from their traditional workplace settings to operations with essential and other remote workers. Today, We have two very special guests, Donna Hughes and Ashley Ridgeway Washington, to give us an inside look at the challenges being faced by organizations with employees who have been deemed essential and who also have employees who are working remotely. What better industry to explore than healthcare? We know that healthcare workers have been on the front line since the beginning of the pandemic. What better guests to share their insights than Donna and Ashley? Donna Hughes is the Chief Human Resources Officer for Emblem Health. Hughes is an accomplished and transformational executive with more than 20 years of human resources leadership and legal experience. She's a a thought leader in a fast-paced, evolving um, industry. She's known for using her differentiated experience to drive human capital strategies that deliver positive business outcomes. Before joining Emblem Health, Donna served as a Senior Vice President Human Resources for Impacts Laboratories, where she led the human resources and internal communications functions before founding her own human resources consultancy company. And before Impacts, Donna was the global leadership team and human resources. She served on the global leadership team and human resources leadership team for activists. Donna earned her JD degree from Rutgers University School of Law and her Bachelor of Arts degree from Rutgers College. And she also holds a master's certificate in next gen human resources from Rutgers School of Management and Labor Relations Executive and Professional Education Program. Ashley Ridgeway Washington is a highly motivated, self-directed executive with extensive experience leading successful human resources initiatives as measured by positive employee relations, improved retention, development of key talent, and enhanced sense of culture and engagement. Ashley became a member of the Christus Health in 2014 and currently serves as System Executive Director of Human Resources, where she provides strategic HR leadership to the corporate and continuing care, which is the home health and long-term acute care organizations. In her role, she collaborates closely with leaders to align HR strategies with business strategies to achieve organizational goals and act as a cultural steward for the organization. In addition to her full-time role at Christus, Ashley serves as adjunct faculty in the College of Management at University of Texas Arlington, where she's taught human resource management courses. Ashley continues to pursue excellence through entrepreneurship as her passion to help others be their best selves manifests in many ways. Ashley is the founder and CEO of Hoop Shots for Kids. Through Hoop Shots programs, her company brings basketball fundamentals, sportsmanship, character development, and fitness to North Texas Child Development Centers as a full-service basketball and character development ancillary program serving children ages 2 to 10. In addition, Ashley continues to operate the law offices of Ashley Ridgeway Washington as a practicing attorney in the state of Florida 
with a continued focus on creating HR compliance solutions and consulting for small businesses. Ms. Ridgeway Washington earned a Bachelor of Science in Agricultural Business and Juris Doctor from Florida Agricultural and Mechanical University in 2003 and 2009, respectively, and a Master of Human Resources Strategy from Rollins College in 2014. Welcome, ladies, to today's workplace. Thank yes. you. Good to be here. Yes, yeah. welcome to today's workplace. We are thrilled to have you. Why don't we start by having um, each of you describe your organization and tell us about its makeup of essential, remote, and other workers. We'll start with Donna. Sure, sure. So uh, Emblem Health Family of Companies uh, is an organization of several brands. Uh, we have the insurance side, um, and we also have a provider uh, affiliate Advantage Care Physicians. We have in total of our enterprise about 4,500 employees. Uh, we're based uh, significantly in New York, Connecticut, and moving up into the New England states. Uh, and we also have neighborhood care uh, sites uh, across the boroughs in New York. And, and that's an interesting part of our business because in addition to having essential workers and providers, uh, we provide uh, community support in the city uh, to uh, help people live their healthier lives, uh, uh, particularly in underserved uh, communities. So an extension there is that we provide, um, you know, anywhere from cooking lessons to exercise classes, and you don't have to be uh, a member of our insurance plan. You don't have to be a patient at Advantage Care Physicians. It's, it's to support our communities um, as a nonprofit. Good morning. I am employed at Christus Health, and Christus Health is a pretty large Catholic healthcare system. In fact, we're actually the fifth largest Catholic not-for-profit healthcare system in the country. We employ roughly 45,000 associates, primarily in Texas, Louisiana, Arkansas, New Mexico, and then we also have an international um, operation that is primarily focused in LATAM, which includes Mexico, Colombia, and Chile. Um, we are a full service or full life cycle, if you will, healthcare system with a robust hospital network, um, a extensive physician practice, which employs well over 2,000 physicians, as well as a robust ambulatory um, practice and urgent care practice, and um, also a health plan. So we're pretty full spectrum and um, pretty large organization um, in the not-for-profit Catholic health care space. Okay. Well, let's go back to March of this year, which seems like decades ago, but it was still in 2020. And all of a sudden in March, we're looking at quarantine orders, sending people home, trying to deal with what is an essential worker and different jurisdictions. Tell us what you did in terms of getting on top of this issue. Let's start with Donna. Sure. So um, let's start by saying that uh, it, it's not just an unprecedented time um, in the, the country, in the world, in terms of what we're going through. It's an unprecedented time for HR professionals um, and really has uh, stretched us uh, to work and, and reimagine what we do in different ways. Mm -hmm. And uh, and it's really been an opportunity uh, for us to uh, lead the strategies in order to make sure that the business continues uh, to run as smoothly as possible. So in March, we had to put our uh, many folks remote, uh, like like other companies had to do so. Uh, we did so swiftly. Um, we did have a part of our organization that was not ready to go remote, which is our call centers. So we had to put in place the equipment and the technology to get them remote and safe um, for a time period um, before bringing them back into their call center workspaces. With respect to our uh, provider side of the organization, which are primary uh, physicians and other healthcare uh, clinicians, um, as well as specialties, uh, we were still open to support um, our communities to the extent the services that we were providing were permitted, you know, no electives, but certainly 
people had to, to come in because of uh, any uh, uh, serious care that they needed. And then certainly those who were stricken with COVID-19. And so uh, we had our operations still open for that. And to the extent we uh, had individuals who were remote, who are part of our provider side, um, we did uh, put up telemedicine to support uh, our communities in that fashion, which is no small feat. We did it in, in a few weeks, but it, it takes a lot because there's billing issues, there's compliance issues and, uh, and so forth, but we were able to do that and support uh, our communities with uh, uh, telephone and video calls uh, for their health needs. And Ashley, what about you? I know Texas's um, response to uh, COVID-19 was um, different than some other parts of the country. Um, so how did you respond? Sure. So I will tell you, it wasn't dissimilar from Donna. I don't know with the same sense of urgency um, initially. And I think, you know, to some extent, Donna has a large contingency of her workforce in New York. And as we all know now, New York was hit kind of hardest and first. So they were really a model for how many of us throughout the country were able to shift. And so I would say somewhere between that first and second week in March, we really started to understand as an organization that we were going to need to shift. And we have a very strong culture, which we're quite proud of, of being on-site workers. So prior to COVID, our um, what we would deem as non-essential today workers still worked on site. And we had a very small number of associates, primarily coders and things like that, that worked remotely. And so we made the shift really quickly, but I will tell you from a infrastructure standpoint, it was quite a lift. And I agree. I wrote an article, Donna, on LinkedIn sometime in April that said, check on your HR folks because they too are not okay. <laughs> because it was absolutely, I mean, you know, we don't always think of HR as essential, but it was a huge paradigm shift to guide our leadership through and we were really at the helm of that and so we made the shift and sent those who could go home and had laptops home really pretty quickly like you donna we had call centers that we had to shift and get equipment and then when you look at things like the fact that much of the equipment we purchased came out of china and we couldn't get it right mm -hmm. we had to be really creative about how we were able to get people home now i will tell you we still had people in the office throughout this we removed as many people as we could but there were people who we could not get home and we worked to create safe planning and safe seating for them um, and then we had executives who remained on site and so we We've always had folks at home, but for those workers that we could get home safely, we did. And then much like Donna, we were able to stand up telemedicine pretty quickly. We had already hired a couple of years ago, a really, really smart and innovative VP of clinical innovation who had started um, kind of that whole telehealth journey with us. And so we had a good deal of the infrastructure in place, but as you know, many of the payers were not really that fond of telehealth. And so we hadn't pushed it in the same way that we have today because we, we struggled with reimbursement there. And I think that's been the challenge across healthcare is really getting the payers to recognize it as a true visit. But we were able to make that shift quickly and get not only the infrastructure in place, but work with our physicians, our local community physicians to be able to connect with their patients, help them to understand the value of telehealth, and really get them to adopt it. And as you, as you remember, um, Barbara, primarily we serve rural communities. Mm -hmm. And you all know that the um, exchanges that happen in rural communities by and large are in person. And so it was quite a paradigm shift for both our providers and our um, clients or our patients. Um, but we've been able to make that shift and been able to provide care in a really new and revolutionary way that I think won't change, which is exciting, right? I think it's one of those silver linings. And so um, I'm proud of the shift that we made, but it was a quite, it was quite an interesting journey. And to your point, um, Texas had some disparate views from some of our other areas about really what should close and what shouldn't and how aggressive we should be. And so kind of working to coordinate that across the different ministries was interesting, but we got it done and, and our associates are better for it. <laughs> how did, um, in either of your organizations, who was involved in it? How did you make the decision about who needed to go and who needed to just stay? 
what was that driven by? Sure. So I think, you know, it was by and large an interdisciplinary decision, right? We kind of got in a war room and said, okay, let's look at what really needs to happen. Let's look at what the uh, local ordinances, state ordinances are asking us to do. I mean, we're technically a essential um, business. And so the reality is we really didn't have to close. But I think um, from a cultural standpoint, I think there's two things at play, right? There's what you should do. And then there is what is best for associates. And I, so I think we balance that, right? Because there is whether people are safe, and then there is whether people feel safe. Mm-hmm. And I think in March, people didn't feel safe. We didn't know enough about COVID and we didn't know enough about masking and social distancing to really be able to guide associates through this in a way that didn't cause them to panic. You add that school shut down, people went home for spring break and never went back. And so we decided what's best for the business, but more than that, what is best for our associates? And so that was a, there was a balancing act in a journey and we looked at, okay, can this population work at home? And those were the people we sent home first. You have a laptop, you have work that can be done inherently remotely, and you know, you are equipped to do that home. And then we looked at those that maybe could work from home, but maybe didn't have the computer infrastructure. So what does that look like? We literally, in some cases, packed up people's whole desk and sent it home. We inventoried it and said, take your desktop home. Um, And so that is kind of how we did it. And then there were kind of a remnant, if you will, of associates who just couldn't do their job um, from home. People like in the health plan who do correspondence, right? Or people who worked on a phone system that we didn't have ability to move it from a um, you know, hard line to a um, web baseline. And so those people remained, but we reduced those numbers, um, changed the configuration of many of our office space because we're a pretty open kind of Google-esque office space and created opportunities for people to come to work safely, put in pre-work screening and some other um, kinds of safeguards. And so had those folks to continue to work, but remained flexible. And so that's kind of how we did it. It was a balance between business need and um, who we are as a culture, which is to take care of our folks. What about like, you? Yeah, much like Ashley, we were very focused on the safety of our colleagues. Uh, and so, you know, we had safety measures in place uh, early on while we were then thinking about how we were going to navigate um, in different environments. And the leadership team was you know, together and huddling on a regular basis, uh, you know, it, you know, every hour basically about, you know, what happens now, because remember back in March, the, the, you know, the guidance was, was changing rapidly, daily. you know, you know, daily, if not at some points, minute by minute. Um, and sometimes con- conflict between, yeah. you know, the governor and the mayor. Mm-hmm. And so right. how are we supposed to, you know, navigate uh, those conflicts and what's the best way to do that? So uh, we had our chief medical officers in weighing in on what we should be doing. We had televisions on to see what, what mm-hmm. was reported on the, on, uh, at lunchtime by, you know, the governor or the mayor. Um, and and also paying attention to you know the different regulations in different states and and really trying to make sure that we you know we put our colleagues first um, but that we were absolutely uh, compliant as well mm-hmm. and as Ashley mentioned you know being you know essential um, you know was important but not the first priority the first mm-hmm. priority was keeping our people safe and giving them you know, peace of mind um, so that they could take care of themselves, take care of their families, feel comfortable um, doing their job and, uh, and doing, it, doing it well without having to be concerned about the unknown. Absolutely. So, and you guys in healthcare, you, you have that um, extra layer of, of um, patient population also. So what, what did you also get involved in keeping them safe as you were keeping your employees safe? Any intersection there? Yeah, well, certainly for for our patients um, that were coming into our medical sites uh, across Mm -hmm. the boroughs, we have some 40 medical sites, um, you know, putting in all the appropriate protocols that you necessarily needed to to do in terms of the social distancing um, and, and, and other various protocols to make sure that uh, they knew um, that we were doing our best to keep them safe. 
and and that our employees as well felt like we were doing everything we could you know to keep them safe uh something else that we did though for our uh members uh who were at home um is uh not so much from a safety standpoint but from a peace of mind standpoint putting up an initiative to do reach outs to those members who were shut in and and confused and you know didn't know what they should or should not be doing uh given the environment and really just checking in on them which which was a major initiative that we did early on to say let's not forget that there are people who are shut in at home and are trying to, you know, uh, navigate this new situation. Many of them not being able to see family and friends mm -hmm. in order to stay safe. Wow, yeah, I agree. I forgot about that aspect. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think we took a similar approach. So, you know, we were, like I said, we're in rural areas. And so what we found is that in some cases, those rural areas weren't hit as hard initially with COVID as other places, right? And so we made some shifts really early on to really kind of um, guide our patients toward kind of a new way. And so we started universal masking really pretty early on. We started restricting visitors pretty early on. We moved, even before we moved people home, we moved some of our um, non-essential workers who had, who officed in the actual healthcare facility to ancillary locations. And so we thought to the extent we can reduce the number of people who are traversing our hospitals, um, that is a value add. We changed in many cases the way we triaged people, right? So we, you know, designated certain sites for certain things and we, you know, funneled associates or and or patients through disparate um, locations in a way that we hadn't done before um, to just try to keep people segregated as appropriate, right? So if people exhibited symptoms that we didn't know whether it was flu or, or COVID, we sent them to a designated site and they were treated there and then we had them go different places. Um, and all of that was helpful. I agree with Donna from the perspective of really checking on our associates as well. Um, we really, really ramped up and invested in, in addition to the EAP services that we already had, we started building, building resilience training. We started building training for our leaders on how to manage remotely, but more than that, how to be present for their people. Because I think managing remotely is important, but we also had to really say to them, this is unprecedented and we need you to think about this from a standpoint of compassion and grace. People may not be okay and that is okay, but we need to lead from a place of compassion and authenticity and check on them as people first. And I read a Harvard Business article review recently that said that before COVID, leaders really became um, hypos and leaders through the organization, not only by, by delivering results, but by being charismatic. And in this Zoom environment, that's shifted to how are you being helpful? And, yeah. and associates are, are cleaving and um, attracted to leaders who are demonstrating that they can help them as people. And so I thought that was important to really share with my leaders. And I think it's made a difference. Yeah. So, and going back to what Ashley mentioned in terms of her being in uh, rural communities, um, our medical sites are, uh, as I said, spread across the boroughs and in many underserved areas mm -hmm. where, as we know, black and brown people were and have been impacted disproportionately mm -hmm. by this uh, pandemic. Um, and so uh, we uh, partnered uh, with the city uh, to be a COVID-19 testing site um, in our areas and, and very happy to say that, that we were able to serve in that capacity in some areas where there weren't a lot of other places for folks to go um, because they were in um, underrepresented areas and, and hit very hard. You know, to, to Ashley's point about, you know, uh, how to help your colleagues who are doing their very best uh, to provide healthcare uh, to their communities, but themselves personally struggling with the concept of, of we're in a pandemic, I need to be safe. My family needs to be safe. I'm speaking to, like, for instance, call center folks. I'm speaking to people all day long about mm -hmm. this disease. Okay, mm -hmm. what does that do to the psyche, right? Mm -hmm. Or internally, 
meeting after meeting after meeting. How many times is COVID-19 mentioned in a meeting? Okay, so it really starts to wear on you. And then during this earlier time, when we were all, you know, new at everyone being remote, you know, meetings are increasing. Um, people are having problems, you know, divorcing their, their personal home life from their work life, which is in the very same space. Um, and we have, uh, you know, some colleagues who live in the city and maybe are, you know, in one bedroom apartments or, or, or flats or rooming with three or four other people who are also home and remote. So these are all considerations that are affecting how people can work. So, so similar to, to Ashley, we, we, we look to focus on supporting our colleagues internally um, and uh, our CEO, Karen Ignani, uh, did weekly roundups on the COVID information that we were providing and anything that we were providing to our employees, attaching it to those weekly video roundups so we could stay in great communication because that was important. I did videos to the leaders as well as to the organization, first to the leaders on leading with empathy and next to the organization on caring for ourselves and making sure that we take care of ourselves. So, so it, it, it really, really, really uh, has been an opportunity uh, for HR professionals to guide the organization as we navigate these concerns um, in, an, in a really unprecedented way. And there and no stone, you know, could you afford to fail to overturn, mm -hmm. okay? Because there's just so much going on, but we had yeah. to continue and forge on. I was just going to follow up with that to say, Donna, you're so right, because I think one of the beautiful things that came out of this is that your culture told on you yes. in COVID. And I don't care what organization you were, who you say you were and who you really were showed up. Because when people went into crisis mode, if they were employee centric, that showed up. If they were not employee centric, that showed up too. And so this time I think gave the American workforce an unprecedented view into who organizations really are and I think we'll have a whole generation of workers in Generation Y that will not forget. And so I think there was beauty in that, but there is also opportunity for us to really be introspective and reflective as organizations to say, are we who we say we really are? Mm. And I'm proud to say that I feel like in, in um, more ways than one, Krista showed up in a way that demonstrated who they really were and, who, and, and that they were consistent with, with, with their brand and their culture. Excellent. How would you describe um, the change in um, the numbers in your workforce in terms, you know, after the pandemic? Have you seen reductions in force? Have you had challenges in retaining um, essential workers? What's going on with respect to the numbers? Yeah, so um, we uh, have not had any uh, reductions in force, mass layoffs, thank, thank goodness. Um, uh, the, ins the insurance side, is, the plan side is a little bit different in terms of how things operated um, than the provider side. Um, on the plan side, we pretty much just can, you know, continued on as, as usual from a workforce standpoint. Um, on the provider side, that obviously was very different because, uh, you know, we have you know, uh, medical professionals in all aspects that couldn't do their jobs on a daily basis early on in the pan pandemic. And so we had to consider, you know, how could we financially manage uh, what was occurring, you know, to the organization from a business standpoint. And I'll say our, our folks at Advantage Care Physicians got very creative, you know, they mm -hmm. did voluntary furloughs. Um, they did, uh, you know, a two, two week um, buyback from, you know, anyone who was non-union who wanted to give up salary to support um, uh, in this regard, their colleagues, you know, so that we wouldn't have to uh, separate anyone. Um, uh, officers, uh, you know, gave back um, uh, parts of their pay in order to support those and keep them on uh, the payroll. Got creative in terms of shifts 
um, once people did start to come back to work, but then it was childcare issues and schooling got creative in terms of shifts because people were saying, you know, I have my kids going to school on Wednesdays, I gotta be home, uh, how do I handle that? And so we were able to uh, you know, speak to our employees about what their needs were in that regard and, be, and we were able to accommodate um, to a great extent. Of course, business has to go on. So if we couldn't accommodate, we couldn't accommodate, but we gave you know, our very best effort to be able to do so. And I'm very happy to say that, you know, the, the, our colleagues on the, on the provider side were very, um, very thankful that, that there was a lot of thought that went into how to make sure we secured their jobs. I will say there were some voluntary departures because this was a time of reflection for everyone. And it did give some people an opportunity to step back and say, is this really what I still want to do with my life, my career. Mm-hmm. I, and I think, you know, if everyone's honest about it, <laughs> the pandemic and everything that's gone on in the country in, in, in the last eight, nine months makes you think about, you know, um, are you feeding your soul? Are you doing what it is that, you know, you really mm-hmm. want to do and is your purpose in life? So we did have some colleagues raise their hand and say, I- I'm going to take time out to assess what I want to do in my life. And, and, and we respected that. So we had a, um, I would say multiple approaches. So it was a multifaceted approach in our clinical spaces. um, We much like Donna had complete service lines down, right? Because at some point we were not able to do elective procedures. Now we were very thoughtful about what was elective and what was not, and really worked to make sure that patients understood the difference, right? And that we, that they got that some things that you may, that may be perceived as elective might not be if we let it go a little longer. So we were very thoughtful in that space, but we did have whole service lines go down and we, um, came up with a very robust and expensive program to provide support to our clinical people and non-clinical as well um, and what we call a pandemic pay program. And so for people who were unable to work, we provided them with a certain number of weeks paid. We worked really hard across our regions to redeploy people. So if there were folks whose line was down or could be redeployed, we redeployed them to areas where we needed them, both um, across the lines of our clinics and urgent cares, even into our um, facilities. Um, But there were some folks that ended up um, being in a furlough situation. Throughout that situation, we continued the pandemic pay program. We continued to pay for their benefits so that they could remain on benefits. And so we worked really hard to keep folks whole and working. And I'm glad to say on the the clinical side, we saw very few reductions. So as it related to our administrative staff, we did make some changes um, and we did reduce after um, going into a furlough um, program. And what we really looked at is where we probably had, were probably too fat in the first place, to be quite frank. Um, as you know, there are times when we let things swell and we take on some positions that may not have to, uh, we may not have to have, they're nice to have, but you don't have to have them. And so we, we took it as an opportunity to really rethink through how we were working. I will say that in some cases we were pretty siloed. And through some of this, we've really been able to break down down those silos. Now, we're never happy to see associates um, be in a situation where we um, reduce um, them or or there's a severance event. But we were generous in our severance. Um, We gave quite a bit of notice and really did everything that we could do to um, support them as we transitioned. And so we did have some but I'm proud of the way we handled them. And I will tell you, the majority of folks we severed left hugging our necks as opposed to hating our guts. And I think that's always the end goal, right? Um, And as business shifts, those folks are eligible for rehire and we continue to have um, what we call um, essentially talent acquisition kind of parameters or guardrails in place that say, if you open up a role before you can even consider anybody external, or internal who's applied, you've got to go back through this list of those people who were, you know, good employees who didn't have performance issues and invite them to at least apply and be considered for those roles. So we're trying to keep it in the family as we kind of shift back to a more normal workforce. 
That's great. I want to um, <clears throat> shift the conversation for a minute to talk about uh, the experience of your leaders and um, particularly as you transition some of your workforce, either transition them um, in how they had to, to begin working uh, on site, um, and especially for those that worked off site, how did your how did your leaders um, react to that, and what kind of concerns did you hear from them about now having to manage uh, employees in kind of a different circumstance? Mm -hmm. Well, it, I, I think I heard Ashley say earlier that uh, her organization was not one that was, you know, um, robust in its remote working and adaptability to re working remote and or um, comfort level with working remote. Emblem Health, a family of companies, you know, we had the same type of um, circumstances where we did have, you know, some telecommuters and so forth, but generally we were an on-site organization. And so uh, what issues we had was really issues of a mindset, not issues that really showed up in real life. The mindset was for many, I'm not so sure that we can be productive remote. This is not a great thing. Um, but it turned out to be exactly the opposite. Uh, we have, we were, and we continue to be very productive remote. Um, and uh, were able to show that we could do it. Um, as I read articles of, of, of other companies across the country, I think many are having similar experiences. When faced with these circumstances, you can make it happen. And that's exactly what our organization did. And so it, we have many leaders who had aha moments and recognized that it's doable. We did indeed provide tools um, to our leaders in terms of how best to manage a remote workforce, making sure you're checking in more regularly, um, making sure that uh, you're not skipping, <clears throat> excuse me, skipping those one-on-ones and those team meetings, you know, um, but also, you know, really thinking about what we're going through and ensuring that you have that kind of casual discussion with the employees about how they're doing, you know, um, because that is an important part of leadership in these circumstances. How are you doing, you know, paying attention to them? Are the cameras off? Um, are they showing up late to a meeting? Maybe they are going through something. Um, you know, we did have several colleagues who lost uh, family members uh, to COVID-19. And we lost some colleagues ourselves to COVID-19. And so we we did have to help our leaders manage through um, those very, very real um, circumstances and also help them um, express to uh, their teams that it's okay to not be okay, um, speak up, uh, take PTO, take advantage of our employee assistance programs, um, get up out of your chair and walk around outside and, mm. and decompress and do those things that you need to do in order to be um, productive. So, so yes, we had to support our leaders, but it was, it was more in terms of supporting them about this, this aha moment in it, to them and their mindset of like, oh, you know, you know, we can be productive externally and, and I can enhance it even more. One other thing I'll say, which was very interesting, which was that we use Microsoft Teams. And, um, and so we didn't have everyone on Microsoft Teams when we re went remote. So, you know, kudos to our technology function that got everyone up and trained and remote and, 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 and using Teams by April 9th or so, um, when, when we only had a small percentage on Teams when we first went remote. And uh, my team went out and did a survey through focus groups about how people were doing from a productivity standpoint, what issues were they having, what was working well, and what we heard in many groups was that 
teams equalize the voices across the organization. And one person described it as every box is the same size. And so people who maybe uh, weren't as vocal before, because we do have a lot of dominant D style leaders in my organization, and they don't mind me saying that because it's, it's true. And, 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 and we, we are you know, making sure we manage to invite other styles to speak. But when you have people in a conference room and people on the phone, um, you know, sometimes, you know, those styles, um, you know, are not blending as nicely as you would like them to blend. And people aren't really thinking about the fact that they've got the floor and someone else hasn't had anything to say. And interestingly enough, using uh, the video chats and using Teams allowed people to really kind of sit back and say, oh, I'm sorry, well, Belinda, what was it that you wanted to say? And, uh, and really give deference so that other opinions could be heard. That has been a great thing for our organization. I would have never thought about that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> all squares are the same or uh -huh. all boxes are the same. Remember right. that for sure. Yeah. yeah. You, you so actually, any particular issues, I'm sorry, Go any ahead. particular issues arising from your leaders throughout the transitions that you had to make? I don't think much different than Donna. I, I will say that we really needed to work with our leaders on that shift. I mean, we are so used to rounding the cubes, rounding the areas, and, and checking in that way, touching base that way, that we really needed to provide them with some substantive tools. But we stood up a, a guide, worked with some other HR leaders across the country, stood up a guide, and I think they got the hang of it really quick. I think it did prove that we are capable of eyes on, hands off, right? We are completely capable of managing remotely and people are capable of working. Now, is that who we are as an organization? No. So we'll likely go back when it's safe to go back um, to an in-office approach. But it does, it did demonstrate that we can do it and that we can be productive in that space. But I think very much like Donna, um, we had to shift and we also had to be more intentional about our leadership and we couldn't kind of rest on what we'd done before. And that to me really spoke to our leaders. I think, you know, in terms of emotional intelligence in terms of um, compassion and authentic leadership and that kind of Brene Brown kind of authenticity, um, we've grown. And I think we will be a better organization and a better group of leaders for it. You've talked about um, returning um, employees to the workplace. What are your organization's plans at this point for those um, non-essential workers who have been working remotely plans in terms of um, getting them back to the physical workplace? So um, right now we are in what we've, we're calling phase three, which was supposed to end around August and then we've just continued it. And what phase three is, is really um, coming to brick and mortar only if you necessarily have to. Um, and there are a lot of protocols to go through before you can actually do that in terms of uh, doing a compliance training on um, keeping safe in the building, uh, you know, doing a daily assessment before you go in with an app that, that is, a, is a health assessment um, and, and having a sign off from your, your leadership that whatever it is that you need to go into the office to do is something that can't be done remote. And we're doing that because we know folks are getting a little antsy about having to be home and safety comes first. So we don't wanna lean into, I'm you know, really you know, strained by the fact that um, you know, my spouse is always here and, and I, and, and I need, I need a little bit of headspace or, or, you know, I have, you know, children who are here and I need a little bit of headspace. We appreciate that all of us are dealing with different challenges, but we want to keep people safe. So we're a little concerned about, you know, folks coming in for reasons that are not really business reasons. And if those numbers tick up, we will have a problem. So we have a ratio in terms of, you know, uh, how many people can come and into the office and why you may come in and then the safety protocols you have to take. Now, where, when will we move off of that? No time soon. Um, you know, we are looking on the other side 
of January to consider what comes next um, for our, our colleagues. And we stay very, very focused on, you know, uh, what the uh, professionals are saying, medical professionals are saying, and what's occurring in our locations. You know, New York was doing great until a, a week or so ago, and now we are ticking up. And there are some counties in New York where um, their municipalities are saying, please stay home because we don't want to have to revert to closing businesses again. Um, we don't want to have to bring, you know, uh, kids home uh, from school who are going um, on an intermittent basis. Uh, I think I heard the other day that, you know, there's only two states in, in, the, in the country that, that hasn't, um, you know, had an upward tick um, that is more meaningful than when uh, we first started um, in the last couple of weeks. So we're, we're about to see something else occurring here that could be really problematic. And we want to make sure that any guidance, anything that we do um, is really so, is, is really keeping our colleagues safe, but, but is guided by what is real, what is going on in real time what our external um, agencies are saying and what our internal medical professionals, our chief medical officers um, are advising us to do. So by contrast, our executives are back by and large. If they are sitting at the system office, they are here. They have offices, and so they're able to be here. Um, and we are actually in the process of returning directors. Um, so to give you kind of some insight, we normally have about – 2,600 people sitting between two campuses that are right next to each other, so two buildings, five floors on one and then three floors in the other building. Um, and so we will, when the directors return, have roughly 350 to 400, so less than 25% of the total number of associates who we have historically had housed here will be here. We've got um, pretty significant safety protocols in place. We've developed what we call a return to office protocol, which includes um, a live webinar that associates must take and um, kind of go through before they return, a return to office playbook, which is a really pretty comprehensive guide that walks associates and leaders through kind of the behaviors that we need to see from them, but also the safety commitment and investments we've made um, and how things have changed um, in the way that we work in the building. And so, of course, we've reduced the number of people in elevators. We've increased the number of sanitizing stations. People were required to mask in common areas, and although they can be unmasked at their at their seats, we kind of have an organizational quip where we say, if you leave your space, mask your face. And so people really um, have a spouse to that. And we also have the um, pre-work screening app that you have to complete and that if you, if you fail it, you're not allowed to come to work. And then you scan that as you walk into the building. And then there's a random selection of people who are um, screened for through an uh, infrared thermometer that basically takes your temperature. And so we have done some pretty robust things in terms of making sure that the building is clean, ramping up the cleaning, and providing all kinds of sanitizing products for associates in their immediate spaces. But we are in the process of returning folks. Um, I don't, I think we are eager to return, but we're also intentional and cautious about it. So we're working closely with our infection preventionist and our occupational health team and our CMO. And I don't believe that we will see associate level folks come back um, before sometime in early 2021. But our approach was that we should have leaders go first so that they can model those behaviors and then be prepared to lead their associates through that paradigm shift. And so that's the approach we've taken. And we've kind of got kind of 30-day cycles, but it'll be come back to the office, observe after three weeks for two weeks, and then determine whether it's safe to bring additional people back. And so that's kind of the approach that we're taking. And um, a related question is, how are you handling situations where people say that they're afraid to come to work? I mean, afraid to go, afraid to go back to the workplace because they have um, people who could be compromised mm -hmm. at home. How are you handling so those? 
We actually built, I actually built an accommodations process. And so what we have is we are saying we are still committed to flexibility. People, I'd say 80% of the students in Dallas-Fort Worth are not in school. They are at home. And so we recognize there are people with childcare issues, people who are caring for vulnerable people, or people who are, have their own health vulnerabilities. And so what we have asked them to do is work with their leader to document what their concern or what their barrier to return is, if they're slated to return, and then ask their leader to work with them to determine what the appropriate approach is. Whether that be kind of a hybrid approach or whether they stay home, we're working to determine what's appropriate. And what we found is that by and large, leaders are flexible. They allow people to remain at home um, in this space, and we kind of reevaluate it on a periodic basis. But it allows us to do a couple of things. One, it allows us to have a really good sense of who's in the office, who's in the appropriate phase, and who's not. But then the other thing is we are able to kind of document and track trends of really where people are and what their needs are, and then we are working to respond to that. So a great example of that is we recently partnered with Bright Horizons to bring an emergency um, child care option to all of our associates. And so now associates have, I believe, up to, I think it's 10 days per year that they can have free emergency care for their kids. So if we're in a situation where you're back to work, and like I recently had an HR business partner whose child's daycare was shut down for 14 days because there was a small outbreak. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, in that particular case, she was worked remotely for those 14 days. But now if there's a situation where that doesn't work and we need her in the office, we've got some support that is free to her or very de minimis cost to her to provide support. And so we're really working to be flexible and responsive. Similar um, to, to what Ashley just stated, uh, when I described before our phase three, that's our, you know, our corporate offices, but, you know, as you know, our, our medical sites, you know, um, are, are busy now. And mm -hmm. we had in our earlier phases, one and two, those who have to actually also be um, out in the field, uh, such as our mm -hmm. sales reps um, on the mm -hmm. on the plan side. Mm -hmm. So, in those populations that um, are uh, either patient facing or community facing, mm -hmm. we have had to deal with the question of either a personal medical condition or mm -hmm. being exposed to someone who may be tested positive, but not sure if I have it or not at this moment, um, and, um, and or caring for individuals in the same household who maybe are at risk. And similar to what Ashley stated, you know, we're, we're focused on, you know, flexibility, but going through an accommodation discussion to determine what is the right thing to do under the circumstances. And as, as you all know, it's, you know, can be a case by case type of situation. Mm -hmm. Uh, that's interesting. I really, I want to talk about uh, one of the more interesting uh, aspects of the work that we all do, and that's employee relations. And I wanted to know what type of, uh, I heard a big sigh from somebody. <laughs> um, I wanted to know what type of uh, changes or different employee relations patterns or issues did you see arise uh, once pandemic life set in? Can I, I'll take this one first. I will tell you our biggest issue was, was t time and attendance, right? We have a historic record of people coming to work when they are ill. That is just the nature of the job, right? People, mm -hmm. unless they are contagious, hacking, coughing, falling out of their chair before COVID, people came to work sick. And in many respects, it was kind of an expectation unless you were, you know, so ill you couldn't function that you came to work. Well, we particularly in areas like our call centers and our, you know, financial services where there is a lot of kind of people in close proximity historically and kind of, um, for lack of a better word, I, you know, um, productivity-based work. People were penalized for calling in and for not being able to come to work sick. And that was a huge shift for, I mean, it's just, listen, if people are sick, they cannot come here. You know, they cannot come to work. And even, you know, where we've returned certain, you know, departments because they have to be here to do their job, we had a really, really tough time getting leaders to get that they cannot come in here sick and you cannot penalize them. So then we went kind of, all the way to the other end of the spectrum where they were just letting them not, you know, hopped on Zoom late and, and a, a whole kind of 
flexibility the opposite way. And so now we are trying to calibrate it back to some right. part of reasonableness. But I think what we saw is that because we said be compassionate, be human, people just kind of let things go and kind of gave people a full umbrella of grace. And now that we are six, eight months into this thing, people are like, okay, wait a minute, there do need there there does need to be more active management. And so we are guiding through what that looks like. Um, we've re- recently really pushed what we call PITA reports, and it's kind of um, a weekly report where you share with your leader kind of what your priorities are, what's coming up, where there might be trouble spots that you need assistance on, and then other things that they need to know. And so that keeps the, the communication going and even sharing that within a department. And so we're working on that. But I will tell you, it was it was all one way, all another way, and now we're kind of coming back to the center. <laughs> Interesting. I would just say, um, and I don't know that I would call it employee relations issues. We 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 would define it as that, but externally, when you say that, folks think you know, um, uh, you know, all heck is breaking loose. And I I would not describe this as all heck is breaking loose, but but we did have you know our customer service population, which you know we had to get all the equipment to get them you know mm-hmm. uh, remote so that took a little bit of time and then they you know we had them remote but then you know the technology is different for call center than mm-hmm. than it is for you know corporate offices and and also there's training for new people coming mm-hmm. in and that was a, a a little bumpy and we made the decision to bring them back into brick and mortar until we could you know, soften those rough edges. And so initially that was a bit of a shock to the system. You know, you're bringing us Mm -hmm. back. I thought we were staying remote. And so there was concern about safety. We did a lot of training, Mm -hmm. um, a lot of work on the protocols. Um, and, uh, and there were some employees that, that, that just, uh, you know, were not comfortable with it. And, Mm -hmm. and we had to have, you know, a lot of guidance and discussions with leaders about how to Mm -hmm. handle behaviors, um, because it is a business, and Mm -hmm. we want to be empathetic, and we want to be supportive, but we have a business to run. And to Ashley's point, uh, we have policies and procedures in place, and we all need to be governed by them, because there's a pandemic doesn't mean that you get to just say, do whatever you and whatever you want. <laughs> um, and so, so, you know, we manage those issues and, uh, and, and, you know, definitely uh, once we got over those few little bumps, um, everything was, was fine. And, and the, the call centers are just humming along quite, quite nicely, but, mm-hmm. but, but we knew that there would be a little bit of abrasion um, given that they were remote and then had to come back. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> As we um, as we wrap up um, this episode, um, what are three what are your top three pieces of sound advice you'd like to give any employer out there trying to figure out how to manage the new normal in the pandemic era workplace? You know, um, well, I, I would say. Um, you know, when we talked about how this is unprecedented, you know, companies do plan for crisis, but they don't plan for this type of crisis. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we plan for cybersecurity attacks. And, you know, for those of us who are international, you know, we plan for tsunamis and, uh, you know, okay. uh, you know, earthquakes and, and things of that nature. We don't plan for a pandemic that is going to be very long lasting without really an appreciation of when this thing will turn around. And so um, I, I, I won't say that there's, you know, there wasn't a playbook for Ashley and I, um, and I won't say there's necessarily a playbook going forward. The, the, there is in terms of, there's a lot of information that we all just discussed that's very helpful, but, um, but let's just assume that there's something else down the road that's unprecedented that we've never had to deal with before. The advice that I would give to HR professionals that have gone through what H- Ashley and I have gone through is you know, to be ready uh, to take a new seat at the table. We should all be, always be ready to take the strategic seat, but this is a new strategic seat. Be ready to influence, be ready to bring you know, uh, a challenge and change to the table 
um, and, and really be the front leader, you and your CEO be the front leader on what's gonna happen with the organization um, and be ready to push back because this has been greatly impactful to our employees. And if you don't meet them where their needs are, you do not have a business. Mm-hmm. And we just got finished talking about how we met them where their needs are. And there were lots of things that we discussed in my organization that initially was like, oh, no, we shouldn't do that. Or no, we shouldn't do that. And, and, and the, you know, the, the, the conversations that you're having with colleagues from a personal nature is something that we've always kind of shied away from. Um, but you have to have a balance there to be really empathetic to what's going on. So I say, you know, uh, be ready to influence, be ready to, to, to be strategic, you know, think, you know, way out the box in terms of how you meet your employees where they, where they are and what their needs are so that they continue, can continue to be productive. And then lastly, I would say, make sure that as an organization, you stop to celebrate the wins. Mm -hmm. Because when you think about what organizations have done, certainly when I think about what we have done during all of this, it is quite remarkable how well we've done in terms of maintaining our strategy, staying on goals, but still meeting this very big behemoth thing that external force that was affecting our organization. So celebrate those wins um, because you as individuals, leaders, the organization, we deserve to celebrate uh, each other. Um, So I would say first we have a kind of um, saying in my department and we call it NFO and that's no freaking out. So I'd start there and say, no freaking out. I mean, yes, this is unprecedented. Yes, it is a huge challenge, but it is not insurmountable, right? And what we find is that when we come down off of the emotional kind of rush associated with this kind of event, that really what allows us to um, navigate this successfully are those same behaviors we were practicing before, right? Um, Attention to our associates, being transparent, being communicative, doing those things that really make um, human capital strategy work and and the reason why it's so important. So kind of staying true to that. I think that is um, keeping a level head and kind of developing a plan and being um, flexible is, is really important. Secondly, I would say give grace and receive grace. I think this has been a lesson in people walking in their imperfections in their humanities, in their vulnerabilities, because many of us um, went from both in our personal and professional lives to being completely okay, shifting to not okay. And we, particularly as people of color, have been conditioned to show up in a pretty perfect way um, without regard to what is brewing below the surface. And I think this pandemic, I think the social injustice that we've seen resurface or be um, prominent has really um, impressed upon me that it is ill-advised for people not to give grace and not to accept grace when they need it. And then the third thing that I would say is throw the box away. We are not going back to normal. Normal doesn't really exist. We are redefining work in this era. So don't, don't even talk about the box. Throw it in the trash. Figure out what works. Britt Barrett wrote a book that I love, and it says Patients Come Second or Patients Go Second. And really what that's about is understanding that when you focus on your employees, when you invest in them and when you show up for them, they will absolutely show up for you. And I think part of that is understanding that we do have to meet them where they are, and we do have to attend to who they are as people. And then when we do that, they will absolutely show up for us. But if we can, if we expect that we don't show up for them, that we don't meet them where they are, and then that they're going to go and put their lives literally in healthcare on the line to treat their patients, to leave their own children and treat our and treat someone else's children mm-hmm. to come into healthcare environments when their kids are at home trying to figure out how to get on whatever class or Zoom that they're going on um, to in many cases be in the garage sleeping to keep their family safe because they've been exposed. Mm-hmm. Um, if you think they're going to do that when they don't see that you care about them, you're wrong. 
And they may not leave you today, but they will leave you at some point. Mm -hmm. And so I would say throw away the old, commit to whatever is going on from an agility perspective and meeting people where they are and expect that people will do what they do, which is rise to the occasion because they always do. Yeah, that's that's awesome, ladies. Wonderful, wonderful guidance and advice. And we've had a great conversation about essential workers and remote workers in the healthcare setting with COVID-19. And we'd really like to thank you uh, for, for providing us with all of the insight. Um, you know, I think that this is going to be a very um, wonderful and resourceful sort of conversation for other practitioners to especially understand that they're not alone. Uh, um, so thank you so much for um, joining us for today's workplace. You've been listening to today's workplace with Barbara Johnson and Belinda Reed Shannon. If you like what you heard, click subscribe so you don't miss out on future updates and episodes. For more information about today's episode, check out todaysworkplace.com. That's T-O-D-A-Y-S-W-O-R-K-P-L-A-C-E dot com.